Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. church were bad and one of the things that I I didn't realize I would appreciate was being able to make fun of myself while I listened to myself uh, preach and uh, and so um, not that I'm giving you permission to necessarily make fun of me this morning but um, the other gift was that occasionally if you were watching online live you'd notice that at certain points in the sermon I would make like a side note comment about something I had learned that I couldn't necessarily, you know, elaborate on during the sermon. That is typing and economy time. So I co- comment time. So I'm going to have a couple of those today. I'm just going to go, side note, here's a little something for you to keep in mind. And then I'm just going to move on. Okay? Does that sound okay? Just set you up so you're not like, that was a weird thing to say in the middle of what he was talking about. We start. Uh, we started last week a sermon series a couple of weeks ago uh, called The Beloved, and, and really just trying to seek out these kind of statements of affirmation that hopefully remind to us that we are beloved children of God. And so in a way, that's a little bit of what I'm going to try to do today. And I'm going to try to do it around a statement around um, new life. And what does new life look like? What does it mean? And in a few minutes, we're going to unpack this uh, interesting conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus have. And, and hopefully, we can draw some, some truths out of it. But to start off, uh, I want to just give you a little something else. So maybe it's something else interesting, and that is that I think I am an incredibly blessed person. I, I think that I have been blessed in a lot of different areas of my life and my story. And one of the ways that I've been really blessed is that I've been blessed to have really wise people in my, in my life for, for many, many years. And sometimes the wise things that they said to me in the moment didn't make as much sense as they as they do later. I think that's one of those interesting things about about wisdom, right? We hear something wise and we might go, hmm, later on it starts to make a whole lot more sense. And uh, so I was kind of fortunate. Like, for example, when I was a kid, I was taught, you know, don't don't eat yellow snow. And I didn't know what that meant. But as I got a little bit older, I started to realize that, that there's some words of truth in that, right? Like, you don't, there's a reason why we don't do that. Here, here's a few other things. Uh, my mom would often remind me that just because somebody looks rich doesn't mean that that's always true. And that didn't mean much to me when I was in junior high and senior high and wanted I wanted a new snow machine or I wanted a new car. Um, it made a whole lot more sense to me as I got a little bit older. I had somebody give me some great wisdom uh, years and years ago when it came to finances, and they simply said this, track your money. Know where you spend your money. It will pay off in dividends later. And I, that, that's a word of truth. My, my grandfather taught me uh, this. Um, he said, you should never underestimate your pro- how productive standing still is. 
And he was teaching me Hebrew hunting at the time, and it made sense in that context. Well, oh man, that makes sense. That's why I'm not going to take offense to it. Never underestimate how productive you still I've seen you teach some um, adults that figure that out. I'm still like, oh, that's really cool. In many ways, I think that's kind of what this conversation with Nicodemus looked like. I think that it was one of those conversations that was very heady, very cultural. We're going to kind of get into a little bit of that. And, and, and I think only later, when he listens to, 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 or sorry, when he watches what happens to Jesus, does he discover just how profound the words of Jesus were to people in that context. Okay, so here's some things about Nicodemus. First thing, Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee, to be exact. Okay, Pharisees don't actually get a real good rep uh, in the Gospels uh, for a lot of reasons, um, one of which was that they kind of carried themselves with a spiritual elitism. They, they were teachers, but they were also the kind of teacher that would teach you something and then make you feel bad about who you are. All in the same, same kind of sentence. You know, I'm, I'm quite good at that. You know, I do that a lot. No disagreements at all in the room with me on that one. There you go. Thank you, Eric. Okay. Just making sure we're all listening. No, this was a real thing, right? The Pharisees, they did know the law. They had come to understand that they were actually doing their best to live uh, uh, good, holy lives. But they also had a spiritual elitism about them that kind of made those who they taught feel bad about who they were and about their own faith journey and things like that. In this case, Nicodemus was, a, was a, actually a respected kind of community leader, a, a respected teacher, right? And, and, and what's interesting about this particular story is that Nicodemus, it says, comes to Jesus at night. Now, what do you suppose that could mean? What it meant was he didn't want the religious community, uh, the Jewish community, those he taught, to see him approaching Jesus with this question. That can say two things. He was embarrassed of the question, or... He was worried about the answer. It could mean a couple of things. The point being, he wanted the conversation to be as private as possible. Right? Without the eyes of, of, of people who are watching. And, and he actually gives credit to Jesus when he approaches him. So he respected Jesus. He respected him as a teacher. He respected him as somebody who was wise. And he actually said, I think all of this wisdom and all of these things that you're teaching are important, and it's been proved out to me by your actions, by your life. You see, Nicodemus was really trying to learn something really, really important about what, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So I, I want you to hear that. This is a person who knew the religious laws and all of those things, but he saw something unique about the teaching of Jesus, and he wanted to know more. But Side note, you know how many leaders are afraid right now? This is a fearful time for all of us. And leaders 
who give you the impression that they are not afraid of the outcome or the organizations that they are responsible to lead or whatever that might be, myself included. There's fear. There is fear. And yet they're being asked to try to somehow make wise, good choices in the midst of that fear. So side sidebar. I'm working through my prayer, my prayer life and working through a lot of fear and anxiety and fear. And I feel it. I just put that out there. That's a little sidebar. So Jesus uh, engages Nicodemus in this conversation. They, they get to have a dialogue about, about what this could look like. And, and the teaching is about, in kind of a strange way, it's about what it means to be reborn. Okay? So, so and, and the first thing I want you to hear is that the first thing that Jesus does when Nicodemus asks this question is he chops down a basic core belief of the Jewish tradition and teaching. The first thing Jesus does is he, he chops at something that's, that's kind of important. <laughs> right? It's just like, what, what I would want you to hear is that Jesus doesn't go soft or like take it easy on Nicodemus and, you know, work him up to something. But he kind of blasts him with something that's kind of harsh right off the bat. And he does it on purpose. He does it actually to get Nicodemus' attention. And, and, it, and it has to do this dialogue where, where for the longest of times, actually for all of time, the Jewish people had been taught. They had come to believe that eternal life was going to come through the Jews. That in other words, that their race was all that they needed to be. That their ethnicity was all that they needed for new life, for eternal life. Okay? For generations they had been taught this. That the, that the only way to eternal life was through the Jews they had understood and I'm not going to get into this but too too much um, but but let's just say that you could become a Jew there was a way of, of joining this group of people okay so it was fairly invasive to become a, if you were a Gentile and and you wanted to become a Jew it was fairly invasive in particular for men. Okay, there was a bit of a procedure, challenging procedure. I can't imagine how difficult that was. And then to add it onto the top of that procedure, for those of you who are still wondering out there, it's clarified. You could become circumcised. And then, and this would probably be even more difficult, all you had to do was renounce your just had to say that who you were, your identity, no longer belonged to that group. So and then you could be in the Jewish nation and then you could become circumcised. And guess what they call the ceremony of, of becoming a Jew? the ceremony the rebirth or rebirth process so culturally culturally when Nicodemus hears that, that there's a new birth his mind goes where 
this is what's supposed to happen. A, B, and C, and then you're a Jew, and then you have eternal life. He was already a Jew, so he just didn't even consider that there would be more that he would need to do in order to receive eternal life. In order to be seen as a beloved child of God, right? Just think about that. I, I just poke that out here as a little sidebar for you. I wonder sometimes if some of us have forgotten that we are God's beloved. That we're called to something else in many ways. Something far more profound than just joining a church and or praying a prayer. So Jesus in this conversation with Nicodemus, the, he, he, starts, he starts suggesting that somehow these doors of, of spiritual life were about to be swung open. And that suddenly everyone was going to be welcomed in. And that it wasn't going to require some process, some physical transformation, or it wasn't going to also wasn't going to it wasn't going to suggest that you had to renounce your identity or who God made you to be or the particular race, family, ethnicity of you. That suddenly some things were going to change dramatically. Right? Now, now Nicodemus had been in the religious circles for a really long time, right? So this this was something he had he had taught a lot, and he hadn't even considered that he might need to do anything to be spiritually more mature. Okay, uh, side note time, conviction time. I think that the longer that we stay in churches, the longer that we are part of the Christian faith, the quicker and easier it is forget in our own minds and our own understanding of how precious Jesus is and we know everything and we shouldn't take it for granted and that is a good thing that is a good thing I have taken that for granted for a long time okay so years ago uh, my office um, was right next to a window and um, and this was at a time in my life when I was actually very needy my office was always very needy like never, but 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 occasionally I would make neat little piles of different jobs and things that I needed to do. Right? My and my 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 office was the desk was right next to the window, and occasionally the window would be open. Occasionally it would get windy, like it did yesterday, and occasionally all of the paper on my desk would would blow off and make a make a giant mess on the floor. And I think, and here's what's interesting, right? Is that that, that in a lot of ways, that's kind of what was happening, was that in a sense, the, the wind was starting to blow. And Jesus was saying to the religious people that the cute little piles of organized things that you've got, Andrea's having like palpitations here, like, oh my gosh, unorganized. Anyways, <laughs> I can't see her mouth, but I can see her eyes. Oh my gosh, it sounds terrible, right? But, but here's, here's, what, here's what ends up happening, right? All of the spiritual papers are blown off of the desk and on the floor. Because if no longer the Jewish ethnicity is the way to be seen, then how do we experience the overwhelming love of God in our lives? And so that's
that's kind of what's happening in this kind of conversation is that all the papers get thrown on the floor. And, there, and, and in a sense, you can imagine it this way, in a sense, Nicodemus is trying by desperate attempt to pick up some of those papers and put them back on the desk so that he can have some sense of order and organization in his own spiritual life. Ever been there? Ever been there? There is a state in everybody's spiritual growth when we become the perplexed. When, when actually all of the pages get blown off of our table through some event in our life, maybe a pandemic, maybe the birth of a child, maybe whatever, something else, a difficult happened. And we find ourselves in a state of being perplexed, in a state of asking all of the big spiritual questions that we have. Right? In a lot of ways, sidebar, I really want Lakewood to become the kind of place that is a place for the perplexed. A place that can handle the questions that come with real life. Being a church of the, of the perplexed means also being the kind of church that's okay with the mystery of God, with the unanswered questions as much as with the answers. So I don't want to be the kind of pastor that has all the answers or pretends that I do because I actually do not have all of the answers. But yet I believe that through God's spirit, as we discover our belovedness, that we can find a place to be together and kind of work through life. And that means that ultimately that means we may come to the end of our life and not have all the answers to all the questions that we have. Sidebar, if we did, there would be no need for prayer. And that seems to be fairly important. Let's pray for this morning. We're just going to do a little prayer. God's spirit has this unique way of being uh, wild and crazy. And Jesus actually uses this Example, he actually says, we don't know where the wind comes from, and we don't know where the wind is going. And it's kind of uncontrollable when it's you. Right? Well, I've, I've kind of taught this before, so I'm not going to super get into this, but interesting side note. Wind? When we hear the word wind in the Bible, what are we supposed to hear? Wind. It's the same word in the original text. Anytime an author talks about the, the wind blowing or the breath, that author is referring to the Spirit of God. And in this way, as Jesus says, we don't know where the Spirit comes from and we do not know where the Spirit is going. Sometimes as it blows through, it's reckless and it blows all these thoughts. And the process of growth is, is a process of being perplexed. Nicodemus was didn't know the answer, right? And so you see, um, this story is a lot for Nicodemus to take in. Because the presence of Jesus, right, the Spirit of God, um, the discovery that he was and could be a beloved child of God, that you 
are a beloved child of God was a lot to take in. It should be a lot to take in. Think about that for a second. You are a beloved child of God just because your mom made you sit with this person. Beloved child of God. Right? And so, and so in fact, um, in knowing that he was loved, in knowing that we are loved, we are, in a sense, casting off part of our identity. There is a part of us. Because there are parts, actually, of our story that we think are a part of our identity that are actually just parts of our, our story that are c- contributing to the weight of the story. I'm not going to get too far into that, but I do want you to think about that. For some, this discovery, um, this discovery of brand new life, a brand new belonging there's a lot to take in for others you need to remind yourself that the spirit of God is flowing in your story in your life and all the nice little religious piles that we have made might need to be blown off of the table for a sec and we might have to do the work every once in a while of picking them up and deciding which And which of our religious ideas needs to be left behind? And that takes time. Right? So Jesus says you have to acknowledge your sins. He ultimately tells us, you're going to need to acknowledge me in order to receive eternal life. In other words, hey Jesus, you're going to need to do more. You're going to need to be reborn experience the rebirth into this new way of living, into being a disciple, into following Christ. When we become followers of Jesus, when we become reborn in the Spirit, things change. They do. We have to eat good food differently like this baby's being born right this isn't a food hole anymore this is the way that your blood is oxygenated isn't the same way it requires air we have to learn to breathe literally right we look have to do life differently. We will grow in our faith differently as we get older and older. A couple of more quick things I'm going to I'm going to point out here real quick. And I'm going to skip a part of this conversation that Nicodemus and and and, and Jesus have and, and I do want to point this out. Um, essentially real sum up Jesus refers to a story about being put on a pole and making a statue, and all these things. It comes out in Numbers, and it was essentially a story where snakes had come into the land, and, and Moses was told to make a, make a pole with a, with a snake on it, and that when somebody got bit by a snake, rather than dying, they could look into the statue on this pole, and they would experience healing. Okay? 
And so Nicodemus would have understood that story very easily. So when Jesus says, uh, the Son of Man is going to be put on a pole, Nicodemus would understand that this was going to be some kind of healing action that was going to take place. Okay? Um, you know, fun sidebar. Have you ever seen uh, a lot of medical symbols, even still in our province, have got a snake on them? It's where it comes from. It's exactly where it comes from. But what Jesus was trying to point Nicodemus towards was that he was about to do something healing. That he was about to address brokenness. It wasn't just that he was going to say, I'm going to die on this thing and you're going to get eternal life. He was saying, I am going to do a healing act so that people can experience this healing. Right? The summary of that story is that he's reminding uh, uh, Nicodemus about his history. Was a reminder that God was in the business of coming near. That God was in the business of coming near and that this business was about teaching people that they were the beloved children of God and that they could experience healing. That they could experience healing. That he was in the business of doing that through sacrifice, not might. That he was going to do that through sacrifice and not might. And then the most famously memorized verse in the Bible. The most memorized verse next to Jesus wept. We all did that one. Just throwing that out. Okay, but next to that one, John 3.16. And Jesus says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have eternal life. Side note, for many years I focused a great deal on the second part of that verse. Because I thought it was the part that applied most important to me. Eternal life. For me, I get eternal life. And I, I would leave out the first part. Right, the first part, declaring, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I only picked up that last part, right? Then I won't have to perish. And then I'll get to experience eternal life. Me, 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 I, I, I. And we do it. We do it often. And so the reminder to us as followers of Jesus actually is what was done for us, not what we get from Jesus. And, and, and this is kind of what's really interesting, is that we actually leave out the second verse, the verse that follows that, which is profoundly important. We should be memorizing John 3, 17. John 3, 17 goes like this. It says, um, where is it? Here it is. It, that part wasn't there in there. Okay, so, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God did not send, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And equally important, verse 
Memorial Drive uh, last week, two weeks ago. Kind of, I didn't even notice how much different it was, you know. But there was a guy, and he had a, a microphone and a speaker, and he was right on the median at that intersection. And he was, and I, I happened to throw, my window was just a bit down, and I was the first car. So I was right there. So maybe it was a message from the Lord. But if it was a message from the Lord, it was the meanest, nastiest message I've ever received from the Lord. And I, I don't want to be too critical, but, but whenever we find ourselves screaming at the world that God hates it, we have, we have missed the grand story of how God sees the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Friends, following Jesus, experiencing new life or new birth in Christ, means what are we going to do to be a part of the healing story? As much as it means, what are we going to do to receive eternal life? The true transformation of new birth in Christ as followers of Jesus happens in that moment when we become a part of the healing solution. This is not just about our eternity. This is about our today. This is about how we are going to go and do the work of healing and saving in the world. There's an interesting side note for you there. Um, the original Greek word, for save and heal, same word. Same world, word. We like the one word. We like, we like those in English. I love it. But he actually is asking us to be a part of the good, good news of the kingdom. That's part of the transformation. It's part of the different food that we need to begin to eat. It actually is part of the different air that we begin to breathe. Remembering that that air we breathe reminds us of the Spirit of God who dwells in us and who loves us and shows us the way. Jesus is saying, look at this mission. Look at how I am proclaiming the kingdom of God. My kingdom starts with me doing what has to be done to heal the brokenness. Right? Take down a pole. And then Jesus is inviting us to follow him a part of the healing solution to repair the brokenness in our interjection I am tired maybe even today I'm just tired I am tired of hearing professing Christians followers of Christ proclaiming the condemnation of others it is not our job and it never was. When you choose to condemn somebody, you are playing God and you're not good at it. I am not good at it. So can we just commit to stop doing that and being a part of the healing solution in our world? It is not our job. Let's keep our let's keep ourselves in the right place here. It's an interesting thing. It's something that we really do need to think about.
own words. Jesus' declaration is worthy Here's an interesting story um, in history, actually back in the 19, or sorry, 1830s, when, when we started doing altar calls. Does anybody know what an altar call is? Haven't done one in a long time. Not planning to do one this morning, but what was interesting was that, was that everybody's like, I, 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 right? Uh, what was interesting about this was that some of these famous preachers that were, were calling people forward to an altar call to confess their life to Christ. We're inviting them down to the front so that they could pray for them. And then guess what they were having them do next? They were signing petitions against slavery, against other things that were wrong and broken in the culture and in the world. You see, see what had happened was, was that they were essentially saying, you come and receive this grace of God, and you, then you instantly begin to be a part of the healing solution against slavery. The two were the same. In fact, in some uh, places, they called it the second work of grace. The grace of God received, changed, rebirthed, grace of God in your life. Standing up against injustice and broken <laughs> Was this assumption that with new life in Christ came a responsibility to care for our world? an assumption and, and I think it was actually a promise so here's the I'm, I am wrapping up with this I think the spirit of God is a still voice in the desert of desolation that God is still very much at work in our midst I believe that God's spirit is flowing and being breathed in by every human being in our city. And that part of our role is to simply love our city and to sit happily and to feel the spirit of God. That's our job. I believe it is also our job that in some sense, we get to be a part of God's participants and we have lots of different ways in which we do that these were some of the ways that we did that that they lived out this faith we need to do time compassionately healing people physically we need to live this faith so that people can discover the grace of god for themselves we need to recognize that occasionally the spirit blows the pages off our desk we have to reframe even who is experiencing the grace of God for themselves. And that will rock us a little bit and make us need to get back to work. If you are here this morning and you have figured out all of your religious visits in the Spirit wants to blow them off your desk. And if you are here and you have yet to receive healing and listening online or wherever it is that you are, the word of encouragement, the hope of feeling the grace of God for yourself.
be a new birth which includes everything that God has for you. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son. Thank you so much that this, this son of yours is willing to come into our space, into the space that he created, and that he was ri- willing to give his life to die in our place. God, may you challenge each of us to both recognize the things we think we are so certain of and allow your spirit to shape them also make us holy to discover that we all all have been shaped by you we pray these things in Jesus name we stand speak the benediction so now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace as you go from this of new life.